Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, we will spend most of our time tonight previewing the Florida State-UNC game uh, that is coming up. Another primetime matchup for the Knolls. Uh, great that we get to put our best foot forward and really uh, show ourselves so well here during this stretch. Uh, but yeah, Florida State-UNC has been moved to primetime and is the is the ABC night game. Now, obviously, some eyes in the country will be watching uh, maybe an Alabama-Georgia game, assuming that one goes forward. But nonetheless, primetime, national TV, Florida State-UNC. We'll jump into it and give you guys the best idea of what is to come as possible. As always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Louisiana Hot Sauce, title sponsor of the Nolcast and the people that make all that we do possible. So with that, Bud, let's uh, let's jump into tonight's show. Let's do it, man. So I I, I got to tell you, like, even though Florida State is not very good right now, I, I still pride our, ourselves and this show on giving excellent previews, right? And like really diving into the research, ma- making sure that people know what they're going to watch on you know on on Saturdays. It's something I've you know been really into for doing for ten years and. To be honest, I feel like doing this research helps me evaluate what happens in the actual game. So, yeah, these are painful sometimes, but we're going to keep doing them because I think people like them, and, and I like doing them. But first, we have a couple other things to talk about, obviously, this week before we get into this. Uh, unfortunate news here today, I think first reported by Brendan Sidnone, uh, is that Tamari and Terry, your star receiver, is going to be out uh, for probably a couple weeks because he's having a, kind of a knee clean-out fixer-upper procedure. Uh, yeah, man, I just get the feeling whatever's going to go wrong, whatever can go wrong, will go wrong for Florida State at this point, uh, at least in the year 2020. There's a there's a football club that I'm a big fan of that went through a period in their their history that they deemed the banter years. And whether it was yourself, Jeff Cameron or anybody else that came up with the lost decade, I may uh, I may refer to this stretch of time from maybe 17 on as Florida State's banner years, where basically you got to you got to laugh and find the sick humor in it to, to keep yourself from crying. If you're one of these weirdos like I am, who gets all emotionally invested in this program and rides the roller coaster that is Florida State football, um, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't have a whole lot of good news to put on people's horizons for the next couple of weeks. I mean, I think it's going to be uh, a tough stretch of time as far as the game results, and, and we'll get more into the UNC game. Um, and maybe some some things off the field. You know, I'm, we don't know this, but there's certainly some chatter that you might have a transfer or two that stings. You might have look. You know, I mean, you're one in you're one in three. You're looking at a nasty season. I don't think that should necessarily uh, shock people that there's some chatter like that. And uh, you know, whether you want to listen to Pink Floyd a lot or uh, find other ways to make yourself comfortably numb, I would suggest that uh, just people you know, brace for a period of time. That's not a whole lot of fun and you should have some experience because we've gone through a lot of it recently. Uh, so we'll see what happens uh, overall with the program. The Terry thing just seems like we're just star crossed to an extent, man. I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I really give Norvell and co a lot of credit for the effort that they have been able to get out of Terry. That's a real good example of man management and something that I think is a positive extrapolation for the future. Uh, and the effort that they were able to get out of that guy, really the Notre Dame effort is one of the better better performances that I've seen out of a Florida State wide receiver as far as consistent effort from snap one to the end of the game. But, uh, you know, Terry will be out for at least a couple weeks. And with all the situations that exist in 2020, I think 
I wouldn't blame any fan for having skeptical thoughts as to players coming back. Uh, you know, whether that be Terry from an injury, maybe it's a situation where he just feels it's it's best to shut down shop and look towards next year. Maybe we never see Hamza Nazel being play again for Florida State. Uh, maybe there's all sorts of situations here, but we'll figure it out. Not only is it a, a loss for Terry and a loss for Florida State, I do think it has a direct impact on this game. I mean, Florida State uh, with Terry is a very different offense and, and certainly is one that does not have the explosive nature that maybe you're looking for when you when you look for the individual matchups and how these two teams fit together and where Florida State might be able to find success. All right, so if you're going to be the negative guy, I'm going to be the positive guy here, which I think will normally shock people because usually I'm kind of the more negative one. But A, it, I, I don't think you're going to win this game with Tamari and Terry. I bet North Carolina immediately on Sunday when, when I saw the line come out at 10, and that was with ex- expectation that FSU would have Terry. You know, I, I don't think like I don't think you were going to win this game with him. Certainly don't think you're going to win a game without him. If you want to turn the podcast off right now, okay, whatever. But man, Nick Saban came down with COVID today. Florida had to pause football activities. They're not playing against LSU this weekend. I have no idea if they're going to play against Missouri. And, and I'm just reminded in, in going through some stuff at work right now, how freaking happy I am that we are actually playing college football this fall during a pandemic. You know, personally for me, because obviously like I make my living on this, but man, just it just feels good to have football back. And right now, FSU's playing bad football. I get that. But at least it's football. And I really do think that we're going to look back on this year and say, look, man, it was a COVID year, right? Like, there's so much crazy stuff happening. LSU is giving up 45 spots to Missouri. We're going to have some teams that probably have four or five games canceled by by the time the season is over. We were actually simulating some of the stuff out today. Given the big the Big Ten's policy, if like what happened at Florida happened at, at the Big Ten, you might have a school play only three games in the year. So if you're going to have a bad year, and FSU is at this point, go ahead and have it in 2020 in a COVID year. Like make this your worst one because you don't really feel like there's a huge opportunity lost. Like you were actually going to win something. And there are opportunities lost in terms of you know the ability to actually get out on the road and meet recruits. You know, or to impress anybody with, with, with how you're playing right now. Uh, but I don't know, man. I have a hard time getting this shook up about it when we're actually playing football. You know, uh, other positive side of me here, if Terry actually does decide that he needs to come back, and I, I think he's going to come back. I do because I feel like he wouldn't have played against, against Notre Dame if, you know, and, and be limping around out there and playing hard. If he didn't feel... Like he has to overcome something and put some tape out there for the NFL, right? Like if he can come back healthy, and I don't think they're going to rush him back, but I, I think he comes back. I, I think the way he was living around against Notre Dame, maybe I'll be wrong, but I, I think he comes back and is maybe able to play those final couple games of the season. If you get him healthy for those final couple games of the season, maybe you pick off a win that you otherwise wouldn't in those games. That's kind of the, the new business. I'm not even negative, bud. I'm just accepting. I've just let it wash over me to where I cannot be emotionally hurt anymore. Uh, yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. And uh, I, uh, even in the positive, I, I find some good things, like I said earlier, with man management, with the ability to motivate, with the ability to connect with a player. It's just unfortunate. You know, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily being negative. It's just unfortunate um, from an otherwise 
relatively well-managed situation with some of the bumps in the road that the, the staff has gone through with Terry. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Certainly wish him the best of luck and um, hope that he returns if, uh, if health and other considerations allow. So uh, something else here to, to monitor is that we, we've seen Florida State attempt to be very active in the transfer portal. They've not always been successful in getting impact players in the transfer portal, but they've actually done a pretty decent job of getting like at least decent players in the transfer portal, right? I, I, I mean, your, your, your right tackle, Love Taylor, is, is not a bad player. Miko Dotson, I don't think sucks. Um, you know, Fabian Lovett actually gave you some decent snaps against Notre Dame. Now, I mean, you know, some of those guys have not played very well. And obviously one, Jordan Wilson, got hurt. Uh, in fall camp, but uh, with the NCAA almost certainly going to pass the uh, one-time waiver, like the the, the one-time transfer exemption uh, this January, I, I think it will better inform FSU's recruiting strategy, and they will they they will most likely I think take a smaller high school class this year than they otherwise would have, given the certainty that you're going to be able to have transfers come in and be immediately eligible. Now, you might say that's a short-sighted strategy, and it's, FSU shouldn't be rebuilding via transfers. To some extent, I've echoed this thought before. Uh, however, I do want to point out that that is in comparison to bringing in high school recruits who you have evaluated, seen in person, maybe worked out in a camp setting. This year, the chance FSU gets of any official visitors on campus is just about zero, I think. I don't think we're going to lift the dead period before signing day. Certainly not before early signing day. If you're FSU, do you want to maybe make a four-year mistake on a kid you've never seen in person? Now, you're going to have to take some risks out there, and all these kids basically are risk because you've never really seen them in person and certainly never worked them out in person, and you haven't been in the state very long as a staff. So maybe they take a class of 20 high schoolers and leave five transfer spots open. Maybe they take a class of 22. Maybe they take a class of 17. Right, and maybe you leave eight transfer spots open, and you go much more heavy high school in in, in a you know in another year. I also think that because you're in the state of Florida, this staff could have success down the road recruiting transfers from other teams who actually played in the state of Florida and who are looking to come home because they're unhappy at you know insert whatever Big Ten school they signed and never visited and realize it's cold as hell. Uh, you know, in, in, insert that school name here. So I would say that FSU is absolutely a winner with the transfer ruling coming down because the proposal was submitted uh, today, I believe. So, or we'll, we'll, we'll be at the end of this week. So I think that that's a winner for FSU. And it doesn't mean I think you're going to get the high profile, you know, crazy impact transfers, but you don't need to have crazy impact to make an impact in Tallahassee right now. And I think they can fill some holes while still going after some developmental guys in the high school ranks. And that's probably how they're going to have to do it. Fair enough. We will. Uh, we certainly talked a lot about it here in the opening ten minutes, but we'll fully switch our focus to the game this weekend, and we will look uh, at the side of the ball first. That might be a little bit more of an enjoyable matchup, uh, or a little bit more of a competitive matchup. And uh, we'll thank our friends at Legendary Home Loans. Uh, they've been fantastic for damn near a hundred customers of ours. Have worked with you, Bud. Have worked with. Uh, with so many of our listeners, our social media feed about them at, at times almost looks like we're paying Russian bots or something like that to uh, to prop up our our sponsors. It's just incredible. So uh, the good people at Legendary, I'll let you give their contact information, but uh, great support for us. We're ever so fortunate to work 
uh, with Shannon and his team, and uh, they've been nothing but a great addition to the Nolcast. Uh, shout out to Nolcast listeners Chris and Deborah. Uh, Shannon emailed me on uh, on the eighth actually that they have closed. So uh, very excited about that. He's got a couple more in the pipeline. It God, it's going so fast. I don't even have time to count, but I think we are we're closing in on one hundred closings. Incredible, which is incredible. Good, good gosh. I, I, I'm not gonna lie, loans were not necessarily something I, I was totally convinced we could sell on a podcast, but you know, uh, you shoot people straight for a long time and they, they learn to trust you. Let's get into this, by the way. UNC's defense ranked 52nd. Okay. UNC's offense ranked 53rd. Ingram, that's, that's not that big of a drop off. Like that, that's all, it's only one spot. Florida State's offense ranked 53rd. Just excuse to, me. Yes. FSU's offense ranked, ranked 53rd. Apologies. Are these rankings accurate? Tough to say. We're only three games in. There's a lot of preseason projection baked into these still in, in any of these kind of advanced metrics. Certainly, uh, North Carolina's defense has allowed some points at times this year, and at times they've, they've looked pretty good. Right? They, they made a very bad Syracuse offense look absolutely terrible. Uh, they you know, were pretty decent against Boston College, and then Virginia Tech last week put, what, they put 45 on them, I think, and, and UNC you know, still won because they put up damn near 60. Uh, but th- this is an. Uh, I-, I will say I'm very familiar with uh, w- with UNC as a team because they have a podcast that is every single day of the week in the 24 seven Sports Podcast Network, and I listen to you know almost all of them. So uh, that's that's something that I'm, I'm you know, I get a lot of information on. So I feel pretty confident in in this preview. UNC as a defense, Jay Bateman's a defensive coordinator. I think he does a good job for them. They, they, they bring a lot of pressures from from all over. Uh, I think they'd probably prefer not to have to blitz quite as much if if possible. But they are they are creative in how they do it. He was the DC at Army, and now he's a, you know DC at UNC, which runs a very different offensive system. So he's had to play you know, some very ball control uh, complementary football, and he's had to play some super fast complementary football. Uh, UNC is a defense that. Is if their starters stay healthy, I think has a chance to be a pretty solid defense. However, like the like the inside Carolina guys say, if at certain spots they suffer some injuries, they they really could you know have have a major drop off. This is something pretty important here to watch. So Storm Duck, one of their top defensive backs, is out. Conley, another one of their DBs, is is kind of questionable. And most importantly here. We're not sure if defensive tackle Raymond Bohasic is going to play for UNC. Uh, Mac Brown was kind of noncommittal on it. One of their top linebackers believes that that he will play, but but this is important because his ma- his main backup is a 280 pound freshman, right? And they also have another freshman as as a backup. North Carolina is very thin in terms of its reserves on the defensive line. Last week, Virginia Tech had it, and they, they really kind of had their way with them, especially g- going against the Hasek's replacement. So that they need those guys uh, to to step up and play for them if Hasek's not in. Now, if he's in, I think he is uh, a guy that FSU will will have their hands full with because, like I said, I think their starting guys are pretty damn good. Uh, but but their backups, the drop off is is pretty severe. UNC as a defense this year is much better at stopping you down to down. They do give up a ton of big plays. They're 72nd in the nation in explosive play rate allowed. So there's only 75 teams that have been playing. 72 is, is pretty damn bad. 
unfortunately for FSU. Yeah, this is where it stings. This is where not having Terry there hurts. And and I think Florida State will find success against this defense. I just think it may be in the manner of runs that go for 13, 16, 17 yards. I, I don't know, absent Terry, that there's a ton of explosion in Florida State's offense right now. Again, I'd love to be wrong. Um, <clears throat> I'd love to see Travis be able to develop a relationship with a wide receiver that replaces some of the production that you were getting from Terry or to find, you know, maybe this is the game where Jordan Young emerges as a, as a deep threat. Maybe this is a game where it clicks for Warren Thompson. I don't know. Uh, again, uh, I don't mean to just c- consistently hammer home a point, but if, if Terry was available and if Terry uh, had been in the same form that he'd been the past couple of weeks, I would feel a lot more confident about taking advantage of a defense that has the tendency to give up big explosive plays. Yeah, so when the over-under came out before I realized Terry was going to have the surgery, I I played the over at 60 or 61. Uh, And then today I I ended up reversing course and and played the under at 64 and and a half. I mean, Terry, uh, here's a stat for you if if you want to kind of drive this point home. Terry's average depth of target, so like how deeply down the field are you targeted, is double that of any other FSU receiver who has at least 10 targets. I mean, that is... He is their deep guy. He is their explosive guy. FSU's explosive play rate is actually not that low. They're they're 44th in the nation in explosive play rate. The issue, though, is that their explosive plays relative to that of other teams are not that big, right? So FSU is like, yeah, get a 12-yard rush or or a 16-yard pass, 18-yard pass, whatever. They're not getting the ones that go for 60 or 50. And there is some noise and some randomness in this. I'm not going to lie. Like we do know that that is something that it, that will vary pretty wildly game to game. And you don't have a ton of control over whether you give up a pass for 30 or pass for 80, right? It's basically past a certain point. It's just kind of, there's, there's some luck involved, but it's not like FSU is creating a bunch of explosive plays that are just getting stopped short. I mean, they're still 44th out of 75, in that area. Uh, so, you know, that's something to to watch out for here. FSU's got to find a way to create some explosive plays on offense. Can they do so? I'm not really sure. Uh, if the, if Ohasic is out, I think they, they will be able to run the football with some effectiveness against this defense. UNC is a much better pass defense than they are run defense, right? And that's going to be key here uh, because FSU is a much better running team than they are a passing team. They are one of the worst passing teams in the entire country. In fact, uh, like when I'm looking at their stat profile, it lights up in deep red, which means they are in the 70s almost across the board. Uh, I will also note here that UNC's defense is a good bit better on passing downs than it is on standard downs. So if you fall into that second and eight, third and five plus trap, this is not a good defense to, to do that against because they do get after the passer fairly well in those downs. FSU, meanwhile, I, and I actually... I took the time today and I sorted through all all this and and counted it up. So Jordan Travis, uh, when when he is in in the game against the FBS team, so not Jacksonville State, their FCS. FSU, when Travis is in, in second and eight plus, third and five plus, they are four of 20 on the year in terms of success rate. So basically, if FSU gets a second and eight plus or third and five plus, their drive is dead. So you've got to find a way to get ahead of the chains there if you think you can drive on this defense. If not, you need to find a way to create explosive plays in early downs 
so that you're not reliant on going on sustained drives. One of those two things is is going to be pretty key here. That, that may sound kind of simplistic, but that's really the way it is. You get the feeling this is going to be a revolving trend that we monitor throughout the season. I mean, the, the success ahead of the chains. Yeah, the success rate is something that's going to dictate what this offense can do, um, regardless, and, and particularly with with Travis behind it. But that's uh, you know, uh, it's something that we'll probably be talking about in every game preview moving forward, and and. As consequence, probably something that we'll be talking about in the Instant Reaction podcast as well to give you an idea of what you did and some of the situations that you you were either able to put yourself or keep yourself out of. I mean, there, there's no doubt. And, and unless Travis all of a sudden, you know, develops into a much better passer when teams don't have to fear his legs, that, then this is something we will need to track for the entire year. I mean, it, it is a it is absolutely a key factor. They they had no shot of, of converting those pretty much against the Irish. Uh, I will say though, dude, like North Carolina's got some pretty good players on on, on defense, e- even if Bohasic and Duck and maybe Conley are out. They've got some cool names too, which is not necessarily the kind of informative, uh, you know, breaking information that you listen to the Nolcast for. But yeah, Bohasic, I love Storm Duck, the name of a player is fantastic. Uh, they've got a couple different foxes running around on defense. Uh, Chas Surratt, I just I like their defense in general, and some of the names just seem like that of football players. Uh, they are much better against the pass than the run. That's, that's kind of, as we've alluded to, we think Florida State can, will have some success, uh, particularly if Ohasic's not in there. Uh, we're just not sure that success is going to turn into, you know, 58-yard runs or stuff like that. I, and I don't know if you've really got a back in, in your stable right now that's able of, uh, you know, when, when you get outside, if you get into the secondary that you think is, uh, is a relatively good chance of, of housing it. But uh, really like the backs on the whole, and I'm not trying to take shots. <clears throat> but UNC's pass defense is really good, and it's uh, it's going to be a challenge for Florida State uh, to have success regardless of uh, if they're missing some of the names that they have out there. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I'm interested to see how UNC plays this, right, especially with, with Duck out and, and maybe with Conley out. Do they load up against the run, or do they just say, all right, we'll give you some of this run stuff, but ultimately – like we don't really think you can consistently execute this down the field repeatedly against us. We know we're going to get our points, so we'll, we'll just hang back, not allow explosive plays, and, and see if we can get you guys, you know, to, to get off the field in, in relatively quick fashion. I I don't know how they're going to do it, right? I'm 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 interested to see how how they do go about executing this. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm looking for there. I I think that it, it will be key on early downs to try to push the football down the field. Pokey Wilson was a little bit better with this last game, trying to attack those safeties with play action in early downs to, to create those explosive play opportunities. I've been very impressed by how quickly Mike Morbell has adapted this offense to give FSU a chance to move the football with Jordan Travis and ultimately to, you know, to, to try to minimize some of the weaknesses of the offensive line and, and emphasize some of their strengths. Uh, Travis is one of your best players on the field right now. I mean, he has his obvious limitations, but he, what he, the things that he's good at, he's actually pretty damn good at. I think he's difficult to tackle. He's got some wiggle. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but like you don't see a lot of guys bringing him down on on, on first contact. And he seems to always kind of have a, a bit of a, I don't know how to describe it. Like there's an angle or there, there's an element to him that just it seems like he is, he's getting more yards than he almost should. 
Yeah, he's, he's decisive too. I mean, like if, if you go back and you, you look at the touchdown that they run on that quick little pump fake, uh, he's not somebody that kind of stutters in the hole. He's not somebody that you get the feelings trying to break it for, you know, 20 plus all the time. Kid has no problem dropping a shoulder, picking up three uh, when he thinks it's there. When we talk about some of the limitations, when we talk about some of the situations that they need to stay out of, we're not taking shots at Jordan Travis. He's been a, a good player and has certainly added – uh, a dynamic element to the offense that is woefully needed. And if uh, if we're going to look back at the end of this year and talk about Florida State winning four or five games, uh, I think an awful lot of it will one. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have that conversation. But if we do, uh, it will be highly tied to, to what Travis brought to this offense and was able to kind of uh, provide a little bit of a, a fill-in talent while some of the cracks that are in the offense were otherwise kind of smoothed over. I, I completely agree with that. So you want to flip to the other side of the ball here? Yeah, let's just uh, – we mentioned these guys real quickly, but if you just – a couple of – if you haven't otherwise watched UNC, we'll give you a couple names to keep an eye out at each level of the defense. Uh, like I said in my kind of uh, name game there, they've got a couple Foxes on the defensive line. Taman Fox is a really good player at defensive end. Uh, Chaz Surratt is uh, probably a first-team all-ACC linebacker, really good player. Uh, really good player, somebody that when you, when you watch Carolina, you'll notice immediately. And then um, uh, it was a Patrice Rene, uh, or Renee uh, in the secondary, uh, really good player. And this is uh, is Dre Bly coaching the secondary? Uh, yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Renee is a good player, but uh, Surratt. If, if there's any one player that I could pull off that team and put in garnet and gold, it would uh, it would probably be Surratt. That's a, a linebacker who's a Hell of a player and somebody that uh, Florida State could desperately use. So, no doubt. All right, man. We have to do it. Let's go ahead and talk about the the FSU defense and the UNC offense. Let's do talk about that. And uh, yeah, we sure wish that uh, uh, the Florida State's defense could bring in some consulting or uh, some people that could possibly help them as they prepared for uh, one of the deeper challenges. Fortunately. We've been able to do that with the good people at Congruity, and we would uh, urge all of our listeners to do the same. Uh, Congruity is a highly experienced HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, reduce risk, Uh, just great partners in trying to get the most out of your business, the best for your business. Uh, And we would highly encourage you to contact Matt Lewis, uh, our friend, 844-247-4100. Again, Congruity. Uh, you can reach Matt at Knowles at CongruityHR.com. Again, Knowles at CongruityHR.com. Good ad read, man. I, I like the idea of bringing a consultant there for the defense. They, they could certainly use. We could use some consultants, most definitely. Yes. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, all right. Uh, so, UNC's offense, uh, you you know it pretty well. It's Phil Longo. He was at Ole Miss. Uh, previous to that, he was at an FCS school in Texas. Spread offense, up-tempo. Uh, they're not a, an offense that wants to throw it 50 times a game, although once in a while they will. Quarterback Sam Howell, FSU fans are, are pretty familiar with him. Uh, very good freshman year there in, in, in the system that Longo runs. Uh, this year was really not off to, to, to that hot of a start. Uh, was not pushing the ball down the field like he normally wants to. And, and to be honest, the guy pl- kind of plays some like Brett Favre YOLO-style ball at, at times and really loves pushing the ball deep. So it was odd to me that he had not been able to do so you know, thus far this year. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was remedied largely against Virginia Tech. 
Now, we'll note VT surprisingly had a bunch of the guys out with COVID in their secondary. So I don't know how much of the success UNC had pushing the ball down the field uh, was due to that. I should probably give you the rankings for these two units. UNC offense, fifth in SP+. FSU defense, 46th in SP+. So, yes, FSU's defense is still ranked better than its offense this year. Uh, I think the thing is we're seeing some progress with the offense, and so we don't criticize the offense quite as much. And obviously the expectations going into the year were, and I believe justifiably so, much higher for the defense than they were for the offense. There's a lot about this matchup I do not like. I'm just, I, for as, as positive as I was in the previous two segments, I'm just going to give this, this to you guys straight. Uh, what UNC does offensively is a very bad matchup for what FSU is bad at doing right now. Uh, they are a good RPO team. Howell is a guy who is, is very good at operating with that type of system. FSU with its linebackers are largely a mess. Their more veteran linebackers lack athleticism. Their younger linebackers lack an idea of what they are doing. So neither of them are a great combination to stop this North Carolina team right now. You also have some issues at safety. Travis Jay is out. Hobson Asherdeen is still not back, and I don't I don't expect him back this week. I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I I, eh, I, I don't think this is going to be the week that you get Hobson Asherdeen back. You, FSU doesn't really have much of a pass rush at all right now, particularly from the defensive ends. I also think that it, one thing I've noticed, and the defensive tackles are not making an impact, but man, I do think that these teams are able to stay on FSU's D tackles in ter- with double teams for just about as long as they want to, to, to neutralize. I guarantee you when you watch tape of FSU, the one unit up front that still scares you a little bit, if for nothing else but reputation, is those D tackles. And they're able to double team them because they're not really scared of single blocking your backers. Frequently, if you're double teaming a defensive tackle, the, the linebacker will just run up and beat you to block you anyways as the uh, second offensive lineman involved. So let them come to you. Absolutely. No, I mean, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of truth there. I also think Florida, some of Florida State's defensive tackles are getting beaten in one situations that are inexplainable. And I, and I don't think you're trying to, you know, write excuses for everybody in, in your explanation there either. Um, yeah, it's a horrible matchup. And, and, you know, the one thing that we haven't seen Florida state from this year is explosive pass plays against the defense is, is the secondary to really be tested. And, you know, maybe it's not the secondary, like you said, maybe it's more pressure getting put on linebackers, uh, in the RPO and missed assignments and, and an up-tempo system that's designed to create confusion, and a defense that has shown a, you know, certainly a, a lack of instinctual knowledge as to what they're doing, uh, regardless of what type of system they face. So, yeah, this is bad. You know, this is a bad situation. This is a bad matchup, and I'm uh, very skeptical as to how much success Florida State has on Saturday when it when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I will also note that, uh, l- like we said on the defensive side of the football, North Carolina's starters along the line of scrimmage are actually pretty damn good, but the backups are very sketchy. They are thin. They, they are probably a couple years away from recruiting to, to that level they need to recruit at if they want to seriously challenge Clemson over the course of a season. It doesn't mean they couldn't beat them you know, in, in a single-game situation, but right now, North Carolina's offensive line, at least from what I've been reading and hearing, is pretty damn healthy, and that's not a good sign for, for FSU. They're, they're basically catching North Carolina 
at least North Carolina's offense. I'm not so sure about UNC's defense here, but they are catching North Carolina's offense at a bad time to be playing these guys. This is not when you want to be playing North Carolina. You'd like to play maybe in week one when they were still kind of a mess. Right now, this offense looks like it is humming. They were able to push the ball down the field last week. They ran for 400 yards on Virginia Tech, by the way. And I think part of that was because VT was so scared of protecting their DBs that they had to play off and, you know, whatever. But, yeah, they ran for, for four bills, dude. Their, their running back combo is very, is very good. When Bud says that uh, when their offensive line's healthy, it's really good, I think that's like second-best unit on your schedule type good. I mean, they're, they're not all that much of a drop-off from Notre Dame. They're, they're a really good unit. And their running backs aren't really that much of a drop-off from Notre Dame either. I, their wide receivers are good, very good. I'm not trying to take away from them, but they're, what their running backs and offensive line might do to this defense is, is certainly very concerning. So I, I think – their pass plays are more likely to come in confusion and blown assignments maybe versus just straight up beating somebody. I think they can line, run up, line the ball, and, and embarrass you in the run game. So hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a, it's a bad matchup, and UNC is, uh, appears to be hitting their stride when it comes to offense. Indeed, they, they really do. Uh, th- there are some things here that concern me. First of all, I, I agree with you. This is not the best receiver group on your schedule for the whole schedule. But I think so far, given who didn't play for Notre Dame and given that Miami's receivers are actually not very good, you know, at least to this point in the season, I, I think this is the best receiver group you've faced so far. And I think a couple of these guys will, will probably end up in, in, in the NFL, like you know Brown and, and, and Newsom. One thing that, that interests me for Florida State's defense, and there's a whole lot of red on my screen, man, when, 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 I, when I pulled them up. They have a very weird combo of actually having a pretty decent, like a, a high amount of air yards per pass face, which means like teams are not just throwing the ball on screens and behind the line of scrimmage. Like they're, they are throwing the ball, you know, decently past the line of scrimmage and have a shoot. They're, they're 66th in average depth of target face, right? But they're also 70th in completion percentage allowed. And yet they're eighth in passing explosiveness allowed. So, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, okay, first of all, I watch all FSU games, so I'm not quite a stats based on FSU. Like, I, I I tend to trust my eyes. I'm like, okay, how do I square? Okay, really high completion percentage. They're completing the balls. Average depth of target is is very high, so they are throwing the ball more downfield, and yet very little passing explosiveness allowed. And, and I think what it is is that they are consistently hitting those eight, nine, ten, twelve yard throws repeatedly but behind the backers, which is something that Sam Howell is quite good at doing, which is one of the reasons why I don't like this matchup. It's one of the reasons I, I, I bet Carolina. So they're not, like, the average thing for FSU, it's it's not, hey, like, they hit some zero yarders and they hit some 40. It's like, no. they, they you, you got a buddy in darts who's really, really good, and he's playing you in cricket, and he's just wearing out that triple 18 or that triple 20. That's what teams have been doing to FSU, and I, I do believe that the Tar Heels are pretty capable of doing that, um, especially because they don't really get I, FSU doesn't get a whole lot of, of pass rush pressure. And North Carolina, uh, they have an interesting split with with their pass rush stuff. But I, I think that they will try to get the ball out quickly when, when they when they can this year. I, I've been looking at this, so check this out. They're actually 66th in the country in sack rate allowed on standard downs. But they're 34th in the nation in sack rate allowed on passing downs. 
So to me, that almost says like UNC, this is probably a Howell thing. Howell holds the ball for too long on these first down play action deep shots, you know, and ends up getting sacked because he, because he really wants to push the ball in the field. He holds it for too long and, and gets sacked. On the, on the passing downs, I think he understands the pressure's coming and he gets rid of it a little bit faster, actually. But yeah, man, this is not a good matchup for, for FSU's defense in, in any form or fashion. Oh boy, I'm not really looking forward to, to watching FSU's defense this, this Saturday. I am kind of look, looking forward to watch the offense progress. Uh, but the defense, to be clear, could progress and still get torched. Yeah, we'll just have to see. I mean, you know, at, at some point, uh, we're either just going to stop talking about the expectations and, and what we hoped we would see at the defensive line and just deal with uh, the team and the situation is um, as it presents itself. Maybe you see some kind of uptick this weekend. I'm not holding my breath. Uh, I will say that uh, I host the Nolcast and then a podcast based out of the UK. And if you would have told me there would have been a dart reference on one of the two podcasts that I reference, I probably would have bet 100 to 1 that it would have been uh, that out of the UK rather than Nolcast. But, uh, you know, you, you, uh, whether it be baseball, darts, or whatever else, you tend to find some good analogies there, bud. And I give it to you on that one. So, um, yeah. It's a, it's a bad matchup. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, Saturday night game, prime time. Just don't get embarrassed. You know, come out, continue to play with the effort that we saw at Notre Dame, continue to uh, make games competitive. Obviously, there's the Howl issue. I, I'm kind of over that. I don't really care what happens with that kid. I, I don't necessarily view him through the prison of, oh, what could have been or whatever else. But uh, I think it's going to be a tough night for Florida State, and we'll have to see what emerges and if there's any kind of bright spots from the defense that we can take away and, and project for the rest of the year. So do you want to get to goals before we get to listener questions? I feel like we need to set some goals. Pe- people liked the goals last week. I have thoroughly enjoyed the goals that we have set. Uh, so not only do people enjoy them, uh, one of the hosts does, and uh, let's let's jump into it. It's been fun to do. All right, so I'm trying to remember what the goals were last week. We, we, we had a goal uh, on three and out percentage. <sighs> Under six, YPP. Yep, that's right. Yeah, the, the yards per play. As well, two three and outs. Let's let's go ahead and make the three and outs percentages of drives. All right, I want to see a three and out on twenty percent of UNC's drives. You think that's fair? Yeah, I do think that's fair. I do. Okay. So if they get thirteen drives, I want to see three of them go 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 three and out. So I'll write that down. Twenty percent. I want to see no garbage time. You're, now you're a 13, 14 point underdog, maybe higher by game time, maybe lower, who knows? But I, I do want to see no garbage time. So, you know, like keep this game remotely competitive deep into the game. Don't get down by 22 in the fourth. Don't get down by 28 in, in the third. Just, you know, keep it competitive. And, and I, I want to see, I want to see some, ex, some explosive plays from FSU because I, I know North Carolina's defense gives them up, and I think given how much play action FSU runs, it should be able to hit some, not as many as if Tamari and Terry was was in the game. So let's, let's see if FSU can pull off a 15% explosive play rate. Would, you think that's you think that's doable? I, I don't know. I think that's doable. Uh, would it, is it too much of an ask for me to, to ask for f- – Four plays or less of 25 yards or more given up on defense? Oh, man. Well, so let me run this by you. 
North Carolina's explosive play rate this year is about 20%. If they run 80 plays on you, 16 of those are going to be explosive. Uh, 12-yard run, 16-yard pass. If you, if, if you get 16 of those, yeah. So what, let me write this down just, just so when we do the instant. So that is, we, we want how many under five 30-yard plays? I, I think that's solid. So at least we're making it, we're making North Carolina earn their keep here. We'll, we'll see how patient they can be. Maybe you can get some turnovers from that. Certainly, turnovers helped you quite a bit in the last game. I'm, I'm, I'm good with the, with those goals. Let's go for that. Yeah, something that we mentioned previously, and I, I just wanted to get a couple minutes of your opinion uh, and what you see from a broader perspective. There, there is a general talk about this and it's uh like i said something that we mentioned we wanted to talk about that i found a list or question from chuck uh, that more or less addresses it so chuck asks what do you think accounts for the seeming lack of defense across the board uh sans a few squads uh with the acc and sec seemingly throwing up big 12 scores every week uh how could florida state be that bad too is this just more of a national trend uh that we're seeing paying more attention because it's our team yeah, so I, I actually, uh, first of all, we, we did some numbers before the show tonight and when we looked into this. Uh, scoring in ACC games is up about a point and a half a game. I mean, that doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but it's, it's, you know, it's four or 5% there o- o- over last year. I mean, we're, 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 we're still barely under 30 points a game, uh, you know, per team. And last year we were at 28.3. This year we're at 29.7, you know, 29.75. So that's not really an offensive explosion going on in the ACC. Uh, there is a little bit of selection bias going on here. I will note in that some of your most high-profile games have featured a lot of points. It is notable when LSU gives up a 50 spot to Mississippi State or, or wherever they gave up in, in that opening game. That is going to get a lot of a lot of news, right? It is notable when Florida gives up 41 to Texas A&M in only like 11 drives or, or maybe even less than that. It is notable when Alabama has to, to play seven of their starters, all 89 snaps on defense well into the night in Ole Miss because Ole Miss is putting up 40, what did they score? 48 and Bama had to score 63, I think it was. Something like that. And they set the SEC record for points in a game. So I really, I, I dug into this on Tuesday morning. We, we ran the article on Wednesday uh, and you can find us on 24-7 Sports. It's free. It's uh, why is scoring up in the SEC a deep dive. And yes, scoring in the SEC actually is up year over year. It's up about 16% actually year over year in conference games. Uh, but Ingram, something I found interesting here is that yardage, like yards per play, is actually not up all that much. It's only up 4.5% yards per play, which is not nothing. I mean, that's still up. And median yards per play? So, like, if you kind of account for the fact that Vanderbilt is garbage and, you know, Bama's offense is unreal, if you look at just kind of the median of the conference, the, the middle teams, it's actually down in yards per play in the SEC this year. So, they're scoring more, but their yards per play are, are very slightly down, you know, on, on, on the median level there. And so, I was like, what the hell? What, what is going on? And so, I found some, some things, and, and this applies to the SEC I didn't do the deep dive for the ACC because it's unnecessary, I think, to investigate why we have a point and a half more per game, right? Like, that's not a great thing that people are like, oh, deep dive that. But the SEC has a lot of these high-scoring games this year uh, that that are are making big national waves because of who's involved. So a couple things I found. Number one, 
we are pacing for almost triple the number of pick sixes in the SEC this year compared to last year. Now, pick sixes drastically increase your scoring in games uh, because they are immediate scores, and then the offense gets the ball right back. And they're like generally games that have pick sixes in them uh, are you know going to going to be very high scoring games for the most part. We also know that like scoring on turnovers, it, turnovers are largely random. Scoring on turnovers is, is like is super random, and you don't really have a whole lot of control over that. Uh, we also know that special team scores in the SEC this year are up in terms of like block kicks, block punts, muff punts, things like that. Uh, and, and, you know, so that's, that's something that, that is also contributing to the score. Uh, overtime games are also up in the SEC this year. We're, we're actually pacing uh, for about 35 more points in overtime games than we were in last year's SEC slate. Now, granted, 35 points over the course of the conference season is not a huge deal, but you know, that, that's not, that's not nothing. There are some other things though, that are a little more, I think schematically based, right. And, and those are worth investigating. My friend, Seth Galena at pro football focus, you know, work, work for him. I mean, I, you know, we're not hanging out in real life. Uh, he actually noted that the sec uh, is passing the football at an all time high rate. So they are really throwing the ball, uh, much more often than they normally did. They're throwing the ball 57% of the time on neutral downs, almost 58% if you round up. Yeah. Some of that is welcome to Mike Leach, who's throwing the ball 70 times a game, and that, that's going to skew some of your numbers a little bit. Uh, but they're also um, throwing the football down the field more, which is is notable. Uh, red zone touchdowns are actually a little bit more efficient. This is probably related to my next point here which is that you don't have quite as many terrible uh, teams as far as just antiquated, oh, man ball, let's run the football. I'm not trying to do an order on impression there, although that's, that's maybe not bad depending on how it actually sounds. In my head, it sounded okay. You're having teams that are much more effective in terms of using space and embracing pace and actually running a more modern offense. Not everybody at the bottom of the league now is is some sort of like, you know, saving clone. And yet, you know, last year they weren't necessarily either, but it's a continuing trend of the SEC actually embracing scoring points, putting defenses in difficult situations, understanding that, you know, spreading the field, using the entire width and, and, and depth of the field uh, is, is an effective strategy. Uh, so that, that has helped, I think, a little bit and partially explains why the yards for play is up even in spite of the fact that Vanderbilt is having like an all-time awful year and might not score 100 points in 10 SEC games combined, which is really freaking bad. Uh, so, yeah, that's something to, uh, to to consider there. And then also pace is up, right? We, we are seeing teams run about 3.2 yards or 3.2 plays per game each more than they did last year in SEC play. So if your yards per play are slightly up, Right, and your uh, your your pace increases, and you're running, you know, let's just call it seven total more plays per game, and your yards per play is up. Then you, you know you could have, you know, a couple more yards per game, right? I mean, you maybe fifty more yards a game, so that could be a decent explanation for for your points increasing there. Um, and the final point, and I know this is a kind of a deep deep thing, and I'm not just trying to read my entire article because there is more. Uh, is that big favorites in the SEC this year 
have not covered really at all. Okay. They are four and eight in games that feature a spread of two touchdowns or more. Uh, and there actually have been three outright upsets. And you might wonder, okay, why does that factor into scoring? And, and the answer here is that it factors into scoring because typically when a big favorite gets up, it's very good for the under because they're going to start to play slow. They're going to run a football. You know, there's superior teams. So they're probably going to be able to run the clock some. Uh, you, you can actually not as much anymore because the algorithms adjust for it, but you could make a pretty good amount of money lie betting some of these big favorites back in the day when it was just a straight kind of a little bit different betting algorithm going on on the live betting software. So especially like if, you know, Bama got up by 25 in the first half, so okay, slam the under here because the computer's not going to know it. But we know it, that like if you get a big favorite up a lot, that it's going to go under a pretty consistent amount of time. With these big favorites not covering and the games being a little bit more competitive into the second half, the big favorites are efforting to score a lot more. And in fact, a lot of these games... For instance, LSU-Mississippi State are some of the really high-scoring high, high scoring games. Alabama was a 23-point favorite against Ole Miss. That was the highest-scoring game in SEC history, non-overtime edition. So that, that's, a, that's a factor as well. I, I think that's probably a COVID factor, to be honest, that Vegas is having a hard time making lines on games this year. And then maybe the final thing is I, some of this is just how good these S or how many points the SC offenses are scoring relative to the expectations entering the year. And this is not a stats thing. This is just a perception thing. Okay. You lose Joe Burrow, you lose Tua, you lose Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Brian Edwards from South Carolina, Juwan Jennings is off Tennessee. Javon Osmond opted out for AM. DeAndre Swift is out, is out at Georgia, right? I expected the SEC's offense to decrease this year. I think most people probably did because it lost a record amount of, of offensive star power, probably more than it ever had in a single season. And yet it's up. And so I do think part of this is that we have this baked in expectation that the offense in the SEC would not be as good this year. And that it's actually up. It's like, whoa, man, look at all the scoring going on because we expected it to be down. So that's, that's kind of my breakdown on that. No man, I mean that's uh, <laughs> that's as good of a breakdown and uh, an opinion on things as as people could have, and it's been a national storyline. And always interested to get your uh, your deep dive into something like that because you do a good job of kind of splintering away, I guess, some of the uh, the broader conversation and and support some more of the fact and, and numbers as to whether or not it's really the case. So I do think you're right. Also, the, the Big Twelve is down. In points. Yeah. Are they? Okay. If you take out the overtime stuff, because they've had some, some serious overtime scores, obviously Texas this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Big 12 actually down. Well, we will uh, we'll see as to whether or not it continues to happen. Hopefully Florida State does not play into the trend that some of these larger national games have had some huge scores, which maybe has planted the seed in people's mind more. But, uh, but should we move to the, uh, the predictions part of the podcast here? Yeah, let, let's go ahead and do that. What you got? I'm going to thank our friends at, at Madison Social and For the Table Restaurant Group. And anytime we have a home game, uh, we need to remind people that whether or not you're you're going to go and, and make it into the stadium or whether or not you're just going to, to Tallahassee to maybe to hang out, see some friends, and uh, experience what atmosphere there is out there, that there's no better place than our friends in college town. Township, Centrale, Madison Social, three great partners to the NOLCAST, people that have been with us since day one. And if you headed to Tallahassee this weekend uh, – if at all possible, 
darken the door in there, order a beer, and uh, support the people who have uh, have made the Nolcast possible since day one. You know, I, I see Florida State's offense having some success, maybe scoring 24. I think Carolina probably scores 44, some, somewhere in that area. I, I, I think this game is relatively close for maybe the first half, uh, but Florida State gets cut on some uh, – some RPO stuff has some blown assignments as the game uh, continues on, and, and maybe the score gets away from them a little bit in the fourth. Uh, it's not a great matchup. You know, this is just a tough stretch of the, the schedule. We knew it was going to be uh, even before Florida State had some of their some of their more rougher showings once the schedule started, and this was never a real good matchup for Florida State, regardless of what the roster was going to look like. So uh, we'll see what comes of it, but I have Florida State losing by approximately 20 points with – low 20s to mid 40s score. We're, we're really kind of in, in a similar vein. Um, I, I initially thought this game you know, could have over 70 points in it, uh, but I, I think without Terry, FSU uh, may try to play a little bit more ball control, uh, and North Carolina, with how well they're running the football, with how FSU does not allow explosive plays, but they allow basically everything else to, to be automatic, they, they could go on some longer time-consuming drives. I don't know that North Carolina really wants to push tempo here you know, that much. Uh, and they are coming off and, excuse me, an absolute shootout of a game against, against uh, Virginia Tech. And, and who knows if they, uh, if, if they want to leave their starters in that long against FSU. They have NC State on deck next week, which NC State's not very good, but it's still a, you know, their, their main rival within the conference. So I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go 41 21. Carolina, just with, with basically just a slightly lower pace than than I originally expected. Good deal, man. Well, I know it's not the fun, uh, the most fun preview to listen to. Uh, we'll, uh, I don't even know what we're going to do for Clemson week. Maybe we'll just watch music and, and show happy images to each other uh, so that we don't get too down. But uh, there's certainly a lot more winnable games. Kind of once you get through this stretch here, uh, this one was always going to be a tough one, as we said. Look forward to Saturday night instant reaction podcast. We'll have it for you as soon as possible. As always, this has been the Nolcast. We thank you for your support. If you have a chance to give us a five-star review, uh, it's silly how meaningful it is, but it's uh, an important process of uh, getting the podcast out to as many people possible. And it is greatly appreciated by Bud and myself. So for this time, this has been the Nolcast. We'll be back to you shortly. Thank you again for the listen. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.